the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Well, everybody, welcome to the SpotTrack.com podcast, post-Super Bowl edition, but uh, NFL offseason edition and a special edition. I'm Kevin Sylvester, along with Paul Peck. We're from BuffaloSportsPage.com, founder of SpotTrack.com, Mike Gennetti. And Mike, I'll let you introduce our special in-studio guest. Yeah, we're uh, we're kicking off this NFL offseason with uh, an appropriate guest, right? Yeah, absolutely. Active NFL agent from Pillar Sports and Management, Shane Costa. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I'm yeah. really excited to be here. I'm excited that he's uh, his undergraduate is at my alma mater, Fredonia. Yeah, absolutely. So, local yeah. guy. Look, look And look how yeah. successful he's to come, become despite all of that. No, I'm going to talk to him. <laughs> Oh, wait. No, no, no. I wasn't going to say that. Yeah, it was a shot. <laughs> well, listen, we didn't we didn't pay to have Syracuse on our diploma, okay? Exactly. So, actually, we've accomplished more. Blah, 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 door, blah, blah. The By door. the way, that, that, that big uh, pillar football st- st- school in Fredonia, right? And we had a, a tremendous intramural league. Listen, uh, <laughs> our intramural football team was pretty good. We could have taken on anybody yeah. anywhere in the country. Yeah. Um, I stand by that. That's where um, it stops, though. Just don't challenge me right now because <laughs> probably have to ice my arm for about four weeks. He does make a good point. The intramural field, um, which I always get that word wrong. It, it's intramural. Intra. Yeah, intramural. Intra. The intramural games were wars, right? Oh I mean, they were. It, it was. It, it was incredible. That's where. I mean, if you didn't come out of there bloody and bruised, you didn't play right. They were tougher than yeah. the rugby games at Fredonia. Oh, for sure. Yes. And now I'm gonna get. A lot of hate for <laughs> yeah. That's, That's right. actually probably not true. We can, we, we can probably edit all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Well, as, as Mike Listen, said. don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, <laughs> right, Shane. Right, right. Yeah, right. as Mike said, this is this is your time of the year, Shane. Uh, you know, I mean, this is the beginning of the NFL offseason, and we're going to talk so much about the dynamics that go into the draft and how guys get ready for the draft and free agency and how guys get paid in contracts. So what a great opportunity it is for us to actually – have an agent here to talk all about this and I guess let's start by um, the interesting role of an agent is you've got clients who are current NFL players and you're preparing them I assume for free agency and then you've got your next wave of guys which is the guys that are getting prepared that you've just signed from college for the draft so how do you juggle both and what's going on for an agent right now as we do this in early February? Well, sure. I mean, obviously, the draft prep is well underway. The combine's in uh, four weeks or so in Indianapolis, and so everybody's busy getting ready, not just for the combine, but for their pro days, too. Um, Obviously, you also have guys getting ready for free agency. You're prepping guys uh, not only uh, potentially on destinations and and other uh, fit scenarios and doing research and player comps and all that stuff, but it's actually threefold, too, because your players that are still under contract, that uh, maybe they're just finishing their first year or second year or whatever, you know, you're helping them prepare during the offseason, too. It's really a critical time, especially for second- and third-year guys. Uh, you want them. Obviously, they're still on the roster. They've had some amount of success, hopefully a lot of success. And you not only just want to sustain that success, you want to help them keep improving. So you know, you might be setting them up uh, at places to train in the offseason. You, know, you want them to take some time off, especially guys that finished on playoff teams. Um, but you do want to create a plan for them, too, to develop. So it is a little bit threefold. I mean, no matter what position a guy's in, again, whether they're getting ready for the draft or getting ready for free agency, or if they're on a roster, you know, you, you want to be there helping those guys out, too. And then uh, another interesting angle this year is with the uh, AAF, the Alliance League, that's, um, you know, I mean, we've got two clients. That starts are this weekend. That yeah, it starts this weekend. We've got uh, two clients on 
uh, on two different teams, Phoenix and Orlando. So that's a little bit interesting this year too. To to kind of uh, you know you you feel like you just finished the season and then uh, you got another season starting up too for a couple of guys. So yeah, there, there there's um, there's a few different things going on, a few different angles. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting time of year, that's for sure. Let's, All right, uh, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Me, real quick, I, I want to piggyback off that. What what are the expect- expectations for those two guys? Is it is it play this season and then try out for the NFL? Yeah, I, I think um, <clears throat> you know the big selling point is um, not only do they get paid, which is great, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but of course, they're they're putting out film. Uh, I've talked to many teams; they they all plan on scouting that league and, and probably fairly heavily, um, especially at important developmental positions, right? Offensive tackle, you hear about it all the time. Um, offensive line in general, right? Uh, teams are looking for. Um, more development out of those guys. Hmm. And, um, you know, coincidentally, we have Andrew Lauderdale, a uh, tackle that's uh, with Phoenix. So we view it as a really good opportunity for him to develop, uh, get some film out there. And then that season's going to end in June. Yeah. So it's really a, a nice time of year when that ends to hopefully get onto a, a team's roster in time. for. Let, me, let me ask you one question about that. And, and again, it's going to pop up this weekend and people that are aching to watch football are going to check it out and they're going to see. Because they I, didn't see a game last week. I know. <laughs> I looked at a couple of rosters just to see if there were some players that I knew or knew of. And I was a little surprised, um, Shane, that there were less players on those rosters than I thought that the average fan would know. So what it tells me and correct me if this is wrong and this affects how you sort of tell your clients is it guys that have already sort of cycled out of the NFL or is it guys that never really got their chance I mean you know what what's the makeup you know is is it guys that are in that are maybe out three four years who had a couple training camps maybe were on a roster for a while but kind of got pushed out as they got older or is there a chance that these guys have the ability to go back to the league at all I think it's a it's a mix of everything. Um, there was a, a combine last August, I believe, uh, for a lot of guys that were not even on ninety man rosters uh, in NFL training camps at that point to come in, uh, test, you know, show good testing numbers, and I think they did all the combine type drills um, at, at, that the NFL combine does. And so teams kind of started to take a look at the height, weight, speed athletes that maybe slipped through the cracks or otherwise they thought they could. Um, turn into players or at least develop them. And so there's a mixture of some of those types of guys. Um, There's certainly, to my knowledge, I think there's a couple practice squad guys probably per team that they finished the season on the practice squad in the NFL. They had contracts signed back in the fall uh, because of the way the league was structured. You could sign a contract with the AAF team, but if you ended up getting onto an NFL practice squad or team, you still do the same thing and, and the contract would void. Um, and so you were still under contract to an AAF team, even if you were on a practice squad, mm-hmm. and then you could re-sign essentially after um, after the NFL season ended. That's what happened with Andrew Lauderdale. He actually finished up with the Bills, and then um, you know uh, about a week later, whenever that signing window opened, he went and joined Phoenix. Buddy, we're going to send the AAF a bill. They're getting more pub on this show than uh, anybody ever. <laughs> people are going to watch, though, right? People right. Are, well, I mean, people already miss here's football. Here's the question. Yeah. <laughs> people are only going to watch as long as the football is good quality, and that's been the challenge for any other league that has challenged the NFL through our lifetime, minus the USFL. The XFL was, was crap, yeah. You know, you're going to look and you're going to go, if the quarterbacks aren't good and and offensive line, like you talked about, Shane, that's if the lines can't protect quarterbacks to let them make plays and the games are all 
10 to 6 because you don't have enough good offensive players because anybody that can play is in the league then people aren't going right. to watch. No, no I, I agree with that. I, my, my question is this what because this shows you know about money and contracts what's the money like in that league um, you know is there a salary cap and what's the money like for the players and then my next question is going to be if you guys got an indication of what McMahon's league is going to be in, in a year from now. Well, uh, to start with your last question, XFL, they're still kind of putting it together and, and mm-hmm. sorting through it. My understanding, and I could be wrong on this with the XFL, uh, my understanding is that's going to be a little bit more incentive-based. But again, I could be wrong, and I think they're still trying to figure some of sure. that stuff out. There's been, I will say this, with both leagues, there's been a lot of agent outreach, you know, a lot of communication with agents, you know, kind of selling the league, you know, getting agents on board. Because we're, if we have players not in the NFL, we're always trying to, if they want to continue playing football, we're always trying to get our clients opportunities, find ways for them to, you know, go and show themselves and show that they can still play or show that they've improved. Um, do you show- have to get certified with those other leagues? Do you have to be certified with the NFL? Does that certification transfer over or do they make you pay a certification fee to negotiate contracts with them too? The, the CFL, you, you do. Um, I don't know. That's a whole separate conversation. Yeah, right. no, no. We've already brought up a lot of. No, this is all but, interesting um, stuff. That's what you know. So yeah, AAF and and uh, and XFL. I think they, to, to my knowledge, there's certainly no uh, certification for AAF. I think it's you know the if you're the agent on record, you know through the NFLPA logs. I think you you know that's how you get contacted and sort that stuff out. Um, my guess is that in the future there will probably be some type of certification process. I mean those guys. Um, you know, obviously they don't have a union, you know, uh, right. for those leagues, at least yet anyway. Right. So, um, so yeah. is there a cap? <clears throat> you know, I, I'm actually not even hundred percent sure they, they yeah. have essentially standard contracts, yeah. right? Okay. Three year um, deals. Yep. Three it's essentially deals. like a, like a, a UDFA deal. Okay. An undrafted yep. free yep. agent. Gotcha. It's going right. to work a lot like that. So yep. a top Correct. end player makes what? An A8. In, in, 250. 250 grand. Over three years. Yeah. Over three years. Over three years. Yep. 250 over three years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a glorified practice more, squad. All right. More, so it's 80, say, 80 grand a year, roughly. You can so, make more yeah. managing target. Well, <laughs> but guys want to play football, yeah. right? Okay. And guys want to play. And, it's an and average guys still of 75,000 a season. Now, sure. I'm sure your superstars, I'm sure your guys who can actually play and they're there to be the centerpieces of the league are going to be able to off, you know, be offered more. Sure. Right. That's just generally how it's going to work. And we don't even know about bonuses and things like that. Yeah, right. Are you rooting for a salary cap, Mike? Because then you'd have to put a, a, a AAF up here on <laughs> spottrack.com. Right. <laughs> I'm going to put them up either way, most okay. likely. All but right. I would actually like to see a non-cap league just to have a variance. Just to, just to have – because I think this needs to be extremely flexible. right? If this is going to work sure. – if, if this league specifically is going to work like they say it is – there's going to be a lot of give and take with the NFL. The XFL has already said, no way. Right. We are not a member of the NFL. We are going to be separate. We don't want our players going there and vice versa. It, they, they want to be their own entity. I mean, you know how that's going to work. So Sure. Yeah. The, the problem, Shane, uh, that's always been, and I'm curious on your response to this, just in general with any of these other leagues, is the NFL guys would rather have their players in their building than playing mm-hmm. in another league, particularly when you're talking about quarterbacks, right? Yeah, well, the the most recent CBA uh, limited some practice time, um, and I think I mean there's there's mixed feelings across the league on on what that means. But certainly from a, a coach's perspective, I certainly think that they wish that that they had more time, right, um, to to develop certain players. Um, to me, this represents kind of a way to get some guys some developmental time while still getting paid. I mean, if you're getting seventy grand your first year. Um, and it's really over the course of five months or whatever, and you're developing, right. uh, and then you're done in June, 
And if you've put out good film and you get a chance to go into a training camp and hopefully make a team, I mean, you're, you're making money year-round at that point. And you're getting better as a player, ideally. So I think that's the hope of, of the AAF to become kind of a, a feeder league but also kind of fill that need that um, that fans have in the e- offseason for Even football. if you're a fringe guy and you play that league and you make seventy five grand a year and then you get a tryout and you make a practice squad, the practice squad this year is going to pay eight grand a week. I mean, you can make 100, almost 140000 as a practice squad player in the NFL. So if, if you supplement both of those two things together, you can make a decent living for a couple of years and then try to get your shot up. I mean, every time you go up, you're making 22000 right, yeah. per week. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I yeah, think no, it's a great way yeah. just to stay active and stay relevant, right? I mean, that's the point of this for these guys. You're, you're going to have teams watching watching your film, and so you got to go out and make plays at that point. And again, just show that you're improving, show that you're worthy to go into a camp. And um, certainly the productive players in this league, because we're talking about guys that are almost good enough for the NFL or at mm-hmm. one time or another have probably been on NFL rosters. I mean, this is a really good opportunity to go against your peers. You know, it's a, certainly a level higher than college. Yeah. And if you can make plays there and show that, you know, you're able to be productive and, and somebody that um, could potentially help an NFL team down the line, I mean, you're going to get a chance in the NFL at some point. Right? All right, let's let's get back on the super highway that is the National Football League and, and this offseason now that we're in the offseason. There's so many intriguing things uh, that are going to happen. Uh, players opting out of contracts, teams opting out of contracts, tags coming through here. It's pretty complicated stuff that you have to deal with. As an agent, you have to know it all and prepare your client for every possibility, correct? Yeah, you do, uh, especially for guys that are free agents. I mean, there's there's certainly different levels of of guys uh, in terms of, I mean, you have your players that are um, maybe the top at their position that are looking at setting kind of, you know, uh, uh, market setting deals or surpassing, you know, prior market setting deals. Then you have guys that are maybe middle of the road where, you know, they're finishing up their maybe not a tag candidate, um, but you're certainly looking at different options. And I mean, you weigh so many factors, you know, when you're trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, typically at this time of year, um, if you, if you haven't, uh, re-signed. Uh, certainly, you're probably going to wait till free agency and see what's what's out there. I mean, there's different philosophies, uh, certainly, but I think you know when you're um, you know six weeks or so away, most players uh, will will tend to go to free agency again. But if you if you like the the fit that you're in and you're, the system that you're in and the We've right contract comes along, why, you know? why why do it? Why why have we seen a half a dozen guys extend contracts in the last two weeks? You know, I, I'll say this. I think. Some players are really comfortable where they're at, and they're looking for a certain amount. And maybe if the team comes over that amount and and says, "Hey, we really like you, or we want to structure this in a way that can set you up for continued future success down the road, not just on the field, but you know financially too," um, then it might make sense. Um, everybody's got a different philosophy, and again, sometimes a player's happy where he's at and, and likes the offer. And you know, maybe there's there there's been um, you know research out there of of what the market's going to bear, mm-hmm. and you and you feel good about it. Um, I, I think as as each day goes by, the guys that are unsigned, you know, becomes less likely to sign that extension, unless you're a tag candidate and you know you don't want to go through that whole process of of you know potentially seeing if if something goes to july and then an extension or if you mm-hmm. get tagged and then you got to play on the tag i mean there's a lot of factors that go into that too so uh it, it's really a case-by-case basis but i think at this point you know most guys are probably going to test free agency at this point has it changed is a goal now as an agent to get your player cash up front it just seems to me like the cash on the contract and, and that you know the guaranteed cash 
is what it's all about. The salary number, I don't know, it means something on the salary cap for the teams, maybe the player's ego, but isn't the real number the cash number? That's one school of thought, certainly. Um, It's important to do the research. I love how he answered that, by the way. Well, that's one way to look at it, Kevin. Uh. (laughs) um, I think it's really important to do the research to what certain trends and what teams do and how they structure their contracts. There are certain teams that are certainly going to structure things a certain way, and there's some teams that um, when they sign a player and if they've got it structured a certain way, they're probably not going to want to take that cap hit. But certainly if you've got a team that you know is going to have some some future room, you know, maybe they're more likely to try and get out from under it. And that's, you know, maybe guaranteed money comes into play there. Or maybe you structure it in a certain way that, you know, if you if you have a, a roster bonus at a certain time, you're more comfortable uh, as a player and as, a, as an agent to sign that contract knowing, okay, even if they don't, uh, if, even if they choose not to pick up this roster bonus, you're going to become a free agent right at the right time. And that's important. You know, you'll see over the next couple of days, certain bonuses that are due. And um, that's good because you can you can get back on to the uh, unrestricted free agency if they don't pick it up or if they do. Um, like I think, it, what is it? Derek Carr has one today. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we saw yesterday to- Spencer Long, the, the, uh, an offensive lineman for the Jets. They declined it, which puts him on the market right now. I mean, he's, he can be seeking yeah. sign right now. That's an advantage Even before March, mid-March. You, 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 yeah. become, you become a street free agent, which is a big yeah. advantage. I mean, that's how the Bills got Chris Ivory last year, things right. like that. So Kind of beat the crowd. Having yeah. those early bonuses is actually an advantage to a player who wants to be on the move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you use the word trend, and Mike. we talk a lot with Mike about trends that he sees in the way teams are doing contracts. And, Mike, I think that the one thing that we talk an awful lot about is Mike's feeling that teams are moving more towards shorter deals deals front loaded because of the cap space because of not wanting to get tied into longer contracts are you seeing it as an agent and how have you had to react to it well again it really depends on well first of all um each team's different. There are some teams that have mm-hmm. done their contracts the same way for mm-hmm. a long time because uh, their 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 football administration guys have been in place and have, have certainly um, have a lot of experience and do things a certain way. There's some that that get creative from year to year, um, and a lot about determining you know what their thought process is. Obviously, having communication. Um, in understanding and researching trends. Um, Some teams now you'll see they do a lot of 46-man roster bonuses um, throughout the season uh, as as kind of a way, you know, you you miss out on money, obviously, if you're not playing or if you're injured or or whatever. But, yeah. Which, which by the the way, that's so antiquated to me, Hmm. the game day activated roster. If you got 53 guys practicing during the week, 53 guys should be able to dress. It's everywhere. Right, and that's just that's is that a do they the teams save money mm-hmm. by doing that? Well, uh, certainly if you have a, a you know if you have you know per week roster bonuses, you know you, you, certainly the, there is an element of money savings. I think what's interesting is when you say antiquated. I, I think personally, I mean, you should be able to dress everybody. Right. Uh, like if you have fifty three players, I mean, we're certainly at a point where um, everybody understands this is a. Uh, this is a game filled with injuries, and yeah. to have to determine, okay, well, there's only so many players that we can bring onto the field, and um, but, I, but, but I, I guess let me let me let me narrow my question down. Sure. Um, if I'm a backup lineman, mm-hmm. right? I'm I'm the third guard on the team, and man, I've been I've been inactive the first four games, and then I get activated uh, week five. Do I get paid more? Like, did, did I make less money by not being active? 
Or does it just depend on the individual contract? It, it'll it'll depend for the most part. I mean, that scenario for for that type of player, that's really not going to come to effect. You'll see a lot of, some free agencies. Well, um, can, Sam Bradford's the poster boy for this. Yeah, the she, Cardinals I, saved I millions that. deactivating him off the forty-six man roster. Well, he had a bad agent then. No, he 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 had a bad he money. had a bad he made a lot of money. Sam Bradford is. Uh, I'll tell you this. Sam Bradford has. Um, you know, he came in the league at the right time when yeah. he was. Him the, and Stafford yeah, cashed in. Just um, they've made a ton of money. And Sam Bradford every year somebody pays him a lot of money. So this has got to be the breaking yeah. year, right? No one's going to pay him. <laughs> right. I I mean, you never know. But yeah, that, that is the example right there of okay. a leverage between the forty-six man and the fifty-three when you've got a big contract like that. But yeah, I would imagine the smaller contracts. You stay away from that. Yeah, you, you'll see. And again, the, those types of and some teams really don't even use them or stay away from right. them, or, or you can negotiate away from them. Yeah. Um, but some teams, like I think the 49ers uh, tend to use those types of because uh, Garoppolo lost and, money because of the injury, right? I, I believe so. I, yeah. I, you know, without having that contract in front of me, um, but certainly he, he if it was structured that way. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. I remember us talking about that. So, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. So no, I, I was just curious because most of the contracts in the NFL, I mean, we're talking about fifty three. Man rosters, and then you have practice squads. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we talk often about the big contracts. We'll talk about Nick Foles, but what's that? Two percent of the league, five percent maybe, are these big deals that we talk about sure. the the uh, Khalil Mack deals that you know the sexy deals. But you know, then we've got you know. I, I think uh, Edelman's deal was I. Eye raising for everybody, Pretty right? Unbelievable, right? Yeah, this guy. People are talking about being a Hall of Famer, and you're like, I got me three million bucks. Or he's yeah. gonna make three million bucks, like. Yeah. Really? He would have if he didn't get popped for PEDs. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a whole other story yeah. uh, when it comes to that. So, you know, those are the more common contracts that you deal with, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of guys that are, you know, you may call them mid-level free agents, you know, certainly maybe not top of the market uh, setting deals. And, and those ones can get really interesting because, you know, not only at that point are you trying to figure out the best money situation, but also the best playing fit too. And, you know, do you think, you know, and you have these conversations with the player, you know, do you think you can take a shorter term deal kind of, you know, they call it like a prove it deal, you know, in the right system and the right fit, and then hopefully reset your value. Or can you get a little bit more guarantees? You, you know, you, you kind of understand where the player fits in the league. Maybe if he's like a really good special teams player or like a guy that's going to be, um, you know, more of depth for you, you know, he's been in the league for a while. Um, there, there's a ton of consideration to come into these decisions and, and really kind of knowing, knowing not only where your client fits in the league, but kind of having conversations, understanding his value, his positional value, uh, no matter, you know, how many stats he has, I think is really important. And, uh, you know, you'll continue to see that over, you know, the next two months, maybe some guys that aren't signing right away, but kind of sign, you know, teams will kind of call them value type signings, you know, that maybe aren't commanding. Um, the high salaries that 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 make the headlines, but nonetheless, you know, a team thinks, hey, he can come in and help us, and you know, we're getting him at a good price. So there's a lot of those types of guys, and and it's really interesting to to kind of stay structurally here. Do you have any sense that teams are starting to shy away from workout bonuses? It, it's one of those questions I get every single year from a ton of Twitter followers and things like that. That you know, there's always that, that those couple of days when those things start to come, you know get paid and you've got guys making $500,000 just to show up and you know it's is it really because they want them to show up or is it just a tool of the of the contract it's cash it's basically just part of the salary but it's given at a certain point in time and yes a lot of the most of them have de-escalators built in if you don't show up you lose that bonus so it, it can be to the team's advantage at some degree but 
but I, I mean, are, do you have teams that frown upon those when you, when you do your work? I, I just wonder how those get, get built in to some degrees are, they're huge. Yeah. I think <laughs> they've been, I think they've been maybe a little less prominent yeah. over the last couple of years. Um, but to, to Paul's question, I mean, sometimes it really is a, a function of, Hey, we want this guy in the facility. We want him to be here. Yeah. You know, they're worried he won't be there. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes a, actual a, a big money free agent might get it and the team might do it just for the sense of, hey, we signed this guy and look, he's in the facility every day working and, and um image and trying to get better. Sometimes Odell uh, Beckham sometimes. Jr., by the way, has yeah. a has a gigantic one. And it does a look gigantic. good, right? I mean, yeah. if you're if you're a franchise and and you spend a lot of money on a guy and, and you want to get the fans excited and, and you know the first day of uh, off-season program, that player's there and, and working hard. I mean, it looks good. And, I mean, th- as an agent, obviously, th- that's easy money for a player, you know. You just <laughs> – you, you got to remind him to be there. It's, it's um, like the one thing players have leverage over but, right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's – look, you go and, and you start uh, working hard and, right. and trying to fit not just the system, but you're, it shows that you're a part of the franchise, you're part of the culture uh, of the team. So – um, yeah, a, a lot of considerations there, but but that is an interesting, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes and where Next it continues CBA. to go. Yeah. yeah, well, some of it might be cash management too, right? If you if you've got a client that you know can't uh, make it fast enough the way he spends money, which I know you guys advise them not to, but I'm just saying somebody <laughs> burns through cash, it might be okay. We'll get you some paychecks in the spring. But you got to get your butt, you know. I love the weight clauses; those are the best. Yeah, where the workout bonus is kind of strung over the course of the season, and yeah. you got to weigh in every guys, six weeks. Guys wearing those rubber suits or wrestlers oh, wore in high school, yeah. right? You know, walk around spitting in the cup just to make weight uh, when it comes to that. If there's one position that we spend a lot of time talking with Mike about, Mike, you know what I'm talking about here, right? Tell everybody what position. Uh, kicker. No. I would, I, yeah, right, kicker. <laughs> I would be remiss if it isn't the quarterback. Well, honestly, that wasn't what I was <laughs> or thinking. Or the running back in the running other direction. Running back is okay. where, really where I was thinking. One of the extremes. And we, and we talk about <laughs> trends, and you've brought this up. Um, we spend a lot of time with Mike talking about how it's become, yeah. if you want to use the word devalued, or it's become glutton. There's a glut of them. There's so many of them that, that few of them are getting paid. How many running backs do you have as clients? And give us an agent's perspective on what you think has happened to that position. Uh, it, it's really over the last, I mean, if you want to say five to ten years, uh, the, the position has has morphed, certainly. I mean, growing up watching football, I mean, the best players in the NFL other than quarterbacks were running backs, right? I mean, Emmett Smith and Thurman Thomas, those were guys that I grew up watching. And um, I mean, Thurman Thomas was the MVP of the league, um, what, 1990, 91, right? And so... Um, you often don't see that. I mean, you hear all the time it's a quarterback-driven league, but it's really been interesting, and I think the importance of the position has really been reflected uh, not just in some of the deals that have been signed, but some of the battles too, right? Uh, Le'Veon Bell's sure. situation has been one of the more unique uh, situations uh, in the past couple of years from a contract standpoint. But you have seen some players um, sign lucrative deals. Uh, Todd Gurley certainly mm-hmm. is one of them, um, and, and there's been guys that have been able to cash in. But it is tough if you're, you know, maybe that role playing running back or a guy that's splitting carries. I mean, it's easy for a team. You know, there's a lot of multiple running back sets or guys that split carries, and so you might not have the stats. And so when you're doing player comparisons, you know, it's really important to not only understand that, but really have your expectations with your client aligned with where the league's going with paying those types of players, um, but also 
selling to a team look just because he's a role player doesn't mean he should necessarily be paid less. Um, and so there's a lot of discussions around that, but it's it's certainly an interesting position. I mean, one guy I represented, Fred Jackson, um, you know, he, he was in a position you know, all the time. I mean, his stats are amazing for the Bills when you consider that every year he was sharing carries with whether it was Marshawn Lynch or C.J. Spiller, um, you know, through, throughout his career, right? Uh, there were certainly always guys there that that were sharing carries, and he still is, um, you know, I think third in the in, in Bills history in rushing, which is pretty cool considering you know everybody that was around him. And so, yeah, you've kind of seen the league kind of morph into running back by committee and guys that can do different things. But you're also seeing now too we're running backs that that can catch the ball out of the backfield are going to have more value because mm-hmm. um, certainly they're, they're involved more. Oh, so you mentioned Todd Gurley. So, his <laughs> no, his contract to me is a, a, a contract of caution to NFL GMs and the fact they're bringing Anderson and he played a bigger role in getting that team to the Super Bowl than Gurley. And Gurley can say all, all he wants about his knee not being injured. Hogwash. The guy's hurt. Or right, I mean, or, or they would have look. Are we used him? Are, right? There's a, no logical reason why they didn't use him more if he correct. wasn't hurt. Correct. The, aren't we at a point now where, where I'm not paying one running back fifteen? I'm paying two eight. And I look at right. Yeah, I look at isn't the team that, that where we're going here? I look at the team that won the Super Bowl. Um, and I've got an issue with them. By the way, I was telling Mike <laughs> about this before the game. Um, it involved it's, a square and a damn kick. Oh, will you stop already? <laughs> oh, no. You're oh, the no. only one, by the way, Kevin, who had no, that happen. I wasn't – not because of uh, Greg the leg. That one, those people, uh, boy, right. at the end of the game, yeah. were thinking, okay, great, my box is coming in. Mm-hmm. And he hugs <laughs> it big time. Or the people that have that had it through the whole quarter and, yeah. uh, and might anyhow, have seen it slipping away. Uh, well, it didn't slip away because he missed the damn kick. Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, I had to get that off my chest because we talk about money in sports. But – you look at the Patriots and what they do with White, Michelle, Burkhead, yeah. right? Yep. I, I'm Le'Veon Bell. I'm sorry, buddy, but teams don't need to pay him that kind of money, which not good for that business. It, or maybe it's better for you, Shane, that you have running backs that um, you can get more. There, there's more running backs you can get work. Let for. me actually expand on that, though. Yeah. You've also then got this growing, really big, growing salary cap. I mean, it's not going up a million; it's going up ten million, right, every year, right? So you've got a guy like Le'Veon Bell saying. Well, I'm still worth 15 million a year, right? Is he? And all of these teams can afford me. I've got 12 teams with 45 million in right. cap space right now, right? So, I I don't know. Is he worth it? I'd he, say he yes, was, but he was. But, <laughs> no, I'm I'm going to say this: Is Gurley worth it? Yes. Is Bell worth it? Yes. Oh, you'd find a lot of people saying but, Gurley's not worth 14. No, but here's what I'm going to say: Is it worth it to the team to pay one player from that, a business standpoint? From a business standpoint, yeah. and that's. You know, if I were GM, I'd argue that with the agent, and the right. agent's job is, well, no, hang on, look at this guy's production. Yes. He, he is worth that kind of money. That's what the exchange is about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, Todd Gurley's not my client, but that was an excellent contract from an agent standpoint. I think a lot of people viewed it as as a market-setting type deal. Um, and, I mean, look, I mean, certainly the focus has been, uh, you know, when the playoffs, he maybe didn't have an as much of an impact, whether it was injury, I have no idea. But, right. um, I mean, that was a great contract. He helped them throughout the year. He 21 touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying really he's good, not so. worth it. I'm not, uh, See, it's yeah, gonna, he's, wor- he's worth the money, but to the team, can you spend that money on three different players? So it's not, it's not going to be fair to compare him with Le'Veon Bell because Bell's 30. Right. Or getting there, right? So, Well, actually, he's 29 because he took a year off. Yeah. You know, age is just a number, Mike. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, what I'm talking about is you've got a guy like Zeke Elliott 
who's probably going to get paid this offseason. That's the barometer. That's that's the girly co- comparison here. And if the Cowboys, you know, are going to be the Cowboys, they're going to pay him $16 million. That's well, just what's going to happen. The, the interesting thing is all it takes is one team, right, yeah. to, to pay yeah. it, and, and that helps set the market. And, you know, that's what that's what you can say not only to your client but teams too is like, look, uh, you know, somebody's going to pay it if, you, if you've, you know, done your homework and research into the value and, and you feel confident about it. Um, and, and that's – that's really, um, I mean, that's how you get paid, right? Is having somebody being willing to um, being willing to extend that offer. I do think the Patriots point it can't go unnoticed, though, because it is a, it is once again how they won the Super Bowl, right? That they had Rex Burkhead and James Eflin and these guys that barely got a use throughout the year in prominent positions in the Super Bowl, rushing and catching. They've won six Super Bowls without cheating. Name the running backs. Name the <laughs> starting running backs in the Super Bowl teams. Antoine Smith, yeah, um, uh, Corey Blunt. Dillon, Corey Dillon, Legarrette um, Blunt, right? Uh, Legarrette Blunt, uh, James White obviously has played roles. Uh, guys like Vereen, you know, I mean, it, it's never ben, one guy. Whoever Vereen, yeah, whoever gets the first snap is is irrelevant in the Correct. world of the Patriots. It's oh, it's been Kevin Falk. Yeah. It's been yeah. all of right. those guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's been all those guys. And, and and there's the other thing that we talk a lot about, Shane, with Mike, is because, and, and mostly running back, because it tends to be a churn it out, get the most out of them, and go to the next one position. But are we getting closer to a point in football beyond the running back? And there's always going to be the exceptions of the great players, where it's one contract, get the most out of a young pair of young, fresh legs, and then move on to the next guy. And as an agent, you're always gearing to that second contract because that's when most guys really get paid. Are we moving away from that? And how does that change the agent model? Yeah, you've seen running backs certainly. Um, I mean, you can look at the stats. I mean, their, their shelf life, um, just from a, a, a playing career perspective, isn't it? Um, they don't have the longevity that, that other positions have. Um, I think there's been certainly a lot of talk. I mean, Saquon Barkley, it was great for him to be the number two overall pick because he got a lot of uh, he got a lot of guaranteed money. And the Giants, in turn, really hold his rights for a long time. Not only do they have the fifth-year option that they'll pick up, but, you know, as he, I'm sure he'll continue to be the excellent player that he is, you know, they'll have opportunities to tag him. And, um, you know, certainly you kind of have uh, certain situations that play out over and over again. Now, who knows what the, the CBA will look like in, hmm. you know, five or six years, which will be really interesting. But, yeah, I mean, that that's certainly a factor. I mean, look, if you're Philip Lindsay, I mean, yeah. This time next year, he can enter into contract negotiations. I tell players this all the time. Uh, the draft's really important. Uh, obviously, I mean, the, the higher you go, the the more money you get. But it's not it's not the end-all, be-all, right? I, I tell players it, the draft's really important, but it's about September 1st, particularly for your late-round and undrafted free agents. If you're a running back um, and you go on draft and you make a roster and you can make an impact like a Philip Lindsay did um, – you can get paid sooner, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, after, but is there a fear seasons? that a Philip Lindsay will never get paid? He's a great player, so he'll get paid. Um, I and, like and him, those yeah. and those types of guys will, you know, somebody's going to pay him again. All it takes is one team. Um, I think he's, you know, th- there was talk of him getting some, some potentially some votes, you know, in the yeah. offensive rookie of the year. I mean, he was a, a great player for them, and um, you know, I think, look, if, if you can find a way to fit the system. Uh, and make plays, and especially on special teams. And, and New England's a great example of this. 
um, you can find a role in the league someplace. And so it's about being adaptable. I mean, if you just are good at one thing and you're easily replaceable, you know, sure, it's probably tougher to get a bigger money deal down the road. Um, certainly, again, we the league's kind of moved away from, you know, one running back uh, per team getting a ton of money. Some teams still do it, obviously, depending on on the player and the situation. But, yeah, New England's a really good example. I think they, they draft guys. They drafted Sony Michelle. Um, they're going to continue to use him. And, you know, when the time comes, depending what happens with the other guys, they'll draft another one and the, and the train will keep moving. And so they're really good at doing that. And, um, you know, as an agent, you just you tell your players all the time, look, if you, if you can make plays, if you can fit the system, if you can make uh, – be a good special teams player particularly for your back end roster type players i mean you know somebody's going to pay you and somebody's going to pay you well you're talking Lindsay. you're talking the broncos here i think it's a really good kind of uh lead into this you've you've mentioned a lot that you want you know your big jobs obviously is to find a good fit a good system fit how hard has that been recently when you've got six seven coaches being fired every single year when offensive structures are changing every single year i mean we say this, it's a passing league. Shoot, offensive structures change from early in the Six season weeks. when we thought right. offenses were blowing up to the last right. playoffs of the Super Bowl where it was all about defense. Right. I, I, is it impossible at this point? to? I mean, the Broncos this year are not going to be the Broncos next year. Who knows how Philip Lindsay's going to fit in? It might not even be Case or who knows what the new coach want, yeah. wants a different kind of style running back. That's what I mean. I, it's got to be getting harder and harder with, with the way things have shifted so much. You know where it's really interesting is when you represent players in the draft and it's getting towards the end of the draft and if they do go undrafted that's when it's really important to do your homework on those types of players mm-hmm. where they could potentially fit you know obviously people think of uh, free agency they think of you know in the middle of march you know your big money guys but i mean the way we look at it is free agency is anytime a player can sign with any team and so right after the draft is when undrafted free agency hits and it's so important for all your clients to not only review the various depth charts and understand the roster composition of each team, also understand what type of contracts at that position hmm. each team has. You know, who are they likely to cut? Who are they not likely to cut? You know, you want to look for any edge, right, when you're trying to sign with a team after the draft. You know, where is he more likely to fit? Um, you know, you do research into what percentage of players for each organization makes the 53-man roster if they go undrafted. How many snaps are they getting in the preseason? There's really a lot to go into it um, because you want to give any of those guys any edge. And so I guess where I'm going with this is certainly a system fit is a huge thing for an undrafted free agent. If you've got a brand new coaching staff, I mean, certainly you want to look into what that offense or defensive coordinator has run in the past. And, um, you know, are they are they more adept at using the undrafted free agents or role-playing guys? And just as important, again, is special teams, you know, what yeah. special teams uh, systems are they using a lot of, you know, running backs or wide receivers? You know, who are they um, who are they enabling to make plays? I mean, a good example is, uh, you know, we represent Marcus Kemp with the Chiefs. Um, he was getting Pro Bowl votes as a special teamer. Hmm. And I, you know, I don't you know, he really didn't get a ton of snaps at wide receiver. But I mean, he was an excellent special teams player for them. And so he was an undrafted free agent. And so it's important, you know, when you're going through that process to understand, okay, not just offensive and defensive system fits, but special teams too, because that's how you got to make a roster if you're that. So, type of so is a GM change more impactful to you? It, it can be, right? Because again, it's what what front office is most likely to give not just opportunities to undrafted free agents, but will will keep one over a guy that's a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. If you're an established 
you know, like the, the Steelers mm-hmm. or the Patriots, you know, uh, with that's got a, f- a front office that, um, you know, that's okay with cutting a, a draft pick um, to to keep an undrafted free agent, you know, really the best player. You definitely want to look into that and consider it. Um, you know, there's there's stats and, you know, we have them, you know, lined up, you know, what teams keep their percentage of six and seventh round picks you know, on average and, and which teams, you know, will have undrafted free agents. So it really is an interesting process. This is probably a terrible question for you to answer as an agent. But <laughs> would you rather have a guy picked in the sixth or seventh round or become a UDFA? Ooh, that's if, a good question. If you had a crystal ball and knew <laughs> that he was going to be a great player, yeah. you'd rather have him be an undrafted free agent. Um, a great example, I think it was Alan Hearns with the Jaguars, right? He went undrafted and he signed a huge money deal after his second year. Yeah. And it was a great contract. And he was making more at that point than just about anybody outside of the first round or whatever the numbers are. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, if you know the player is going to be really, really good, um, then I, I'd certainly tell you, hey, you get to free it. You get to renegotiate your contract because you're not locked into that rookie deal, correct? Or so the, under the CBA, the rookie drafted deal is what I wanted to say. Yeah, so it's a three year deal, and you can renegotiate after two. All draft picks outside of the first round, they're four year deals, uh, but you can renegotiate after three. So you get to you're able to renegotiate a year sooner. So if again, if you're going to be this impactful player, um, and and again, if you have that crystal ball, you know, you say, hey, I'd, you're probably better off being an undrafted free agent. And the other consideration too is, and you'll see it sometimes, uh, teams will take developmental type guys in the seventh round, and they're stacked at that yeah. s- certain position. You'll see, you know, some analysts might, you know, say, well, they they have a lot of receivers. Not sure why they took one in the seventh round. I mean, that's a tough one because at that point you're fighting for a practice squad spot. Realistically, if you're that if you're that seventh round pick on a stacked team, now vice versa. I mean, that can happen where you go to a great fit in the sixth or seventh round too. But um, if you're an undrafted free agent, you get to pick where you go. And right. all that research that I was just talking about is. Uh, a huge factor. I mean, you you can figure out what the best system fit is. Figure out who gives their undrafted free agents the, the the most amount of playing time, and uh, they're most likely to make the team. I mean, you're trying to find any edge uh, that you can as an agent to help a player pick the right spot so he can make that 53 man roster. A tied into this because you're and because I, I think a lot of what you're talking about, Shane, is part of the process that you use when you are recruiting potential clients. I'm in, I'm super intrigued about this, so I want to ask you this question. You said you have 20 players right now that are coming out of college, getting ready for the draft. What's the process like in getting those 20 guys to agree to work with you? When does that start? How, I mean, I, there's the, the Hollywood stylized version of how it's done, uh, you know, in the shadows sometimes and, and with, with things being thrown at all these players. But give us the reality of the recruiting process, because you got to do it every year you've got to fill your client base yeah it's it's a process that starts pretty early um different agencies have different philosophies of when they'll start recruiting guys um i I think the 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 overall viewpoint that i take from it is we want to find nfl players and guys that are gonna um you know go into the league and have a chance to make rosters it's a commission-based business so obviously uh their success is our success right so it, it really starts early on you want to identify players with NFL talent. And you do that a couple of ways. Um, 
for myself, I mean, you want to build good relationships with teams, with scouts throughout the league, you know, be able to, to get good feedback on not just who they're looking at, but who they think um, if you bring a player up to them, you know, who has a chance to make a roster. Um, for myself, I, I have a football background. I work for the Bills um, in player personnel. Um, so if I, if I can get film on somebody uh, I'll try and get a a determination or a handle okay I think maybe you know he has the traits and make it it's it's certainly a height weight speed league so if you can get a good listing of players official heights weights and if they have a 40 time from their junior day um, that really helps um, and if they don't they're estimated is is pretty good because you can start to to narrow it down from there or and that helps you too when you're recruiting a player saying hey you know you're if you're an offensive tackle and you're six six and three hundred fifteen pounds and you know you're an athletic guy, I mean somebody's going to bring you into a training camp and work with you because you have the tools. But it goes beyond that too, right? I mean, when you're trying to identify players, and again, it's similar to how teams do it. Um, you know, we want to work with the right guys. I mean, there's certain uh, players, um, college players that may have, you know different uh issues in their background uh arrests or transgressions sure yeah. yeah and 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 those can be tough now look we all make mistakes so it's important to to vet those issues just like teams do um those guys need agents too and and they need someone to to work for them and 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 fight for them too so um you want to get an understanding and, and say hey was this was he a good guy in the locker room was he you know, a, a good guy to his teammates. Uh, did the coaches like him? You know, I mean, there's so many factors when you're trying to, to figure out who to go after. And then in terms of the recruiting process, you just, you know, you you, you, you sit down with them. You can talk to them. Um, that's that's not prohibited by NCAA rules. Anytime during their senior season or whatever, there's football, their college season, you can talk you, to them. You can talk to them at any time. It's just, you know, you can't give them a benefit. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, talking to them, their parents, that's certainly. You can buy them a lunch. You cannot buy them nope. lunch. That's nope. stupid. Nope. Can't bake them cookies. I can tell you that story. Nope. My past as well, too. So Can't stupid. buy them a bottle of water. In some states, that's a felony. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Wow. State of North Carolina, if you sat down with a player and bought him a bottle of water, that would be a felony. Before his eligibility's up. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Uh, In some states, it's a misdemeanor. Some right. states don't have those laws on the book, but... Uh, yeah, and, and as an agent, you, you really got to be cognizant of what the rules are, what sure. different state rules are. You know, um, Some programs will have um, an agent registration process uh, that you need to go through. You talk to compliance, you, know, you give them your background, show them that you're certified you know, by the, the, the union. Um, everybody's a little different. Um, some programs are really open about it, and they want to talk to to agents and help them, you know, uh, help players make a good, you know, decision. Um, it's it it's really a case by case basis. But yeah, it's that that part of it's really interesting too. Is just knowing the various regulations that go into it and and, and all that stuff. All right, what about um, so the best chance of getting clients is out of college, correct? I, I imagine you know players don't change agents that much unless you know they the agent you know did a bad contract form right 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 so that that's the best way to do it so i i unless you guys have other things on this i want i want to move on to actual okay it's time to negotiate contracts how much negotiation is done via text or is it all over the phone skype whatever i'm just curious how how the negotiation you're talking about negotiating with teams with teams like you've already inked the player you've got the player under your control you've got the player they want the player all right it's time to talk nitty-gritty shane and uh you know obviously you want them to call you first you don't want to make the first call (laughs) well you know i've only been i've been on the agent side of this business for five years and 
even I've noticed a trend over the last couple of years. You do more and more by text and stuff like that. that right? it yeah. Used to, it used to be like trading email proposals and stuff like that. And there's certainly still a lot of that sure. um, and phone calls and stuff. But sometimes, I mean, I've even negotiated certain things, whether it's, you know, um, whether it's a smaller deal or, or uh, an injury settlement uh, over text, you know. Um, That's no and, fun, right? That's not fun. Uh, it it's can't efficient. be fun. It's efficient, which <laughs> not like good. not like the old days when uh, the, the, one of the legendary stories in in where we are Facts. in Western New York and Buffalo was Bill Polian and Jim Kelly's agent, like Jim Polian, Bill Polian challenging him to line up as an offensive lineman, and uh, they were going to go at it in a blocking drill in Polian's office. Right? You missed yeah. that via text. Well, that's what I'm you? saying, like the negotiations. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe Shane doesn't miss that. Shane, what I want to hear is I don't whatever... think I'd win that battle. Yeah. So. <laughs> Everybody wants to see the story where a general manager told you to go, uh, you know, um, fly a kite, yeah. to put it politely, and then an hour later, okay, let's do this, right? <laughs> yeah, no, th- listen, that happens. Um, there's, you know, I've had it happen before, too, particularly uh, in injury settlement discussions. Those tend to be the most contentious. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably like a different How podcast dare for a different hurt. day. Yeah, <laughs> and, and saying, oh, you know, the team's going to say, yeah, well, he's not going to be out that long. And you're like, what are you talking about? He's got to have surgery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, those get really contentious, and, and a lot of those are done sometimes, you know, if it's an easy one or, or one that, that um, you know, you have a consensus opinion on on the, the value of, of – um, the deal, then those are a little bit easier. But there's still definitely deals done over phone, and they can get contentious. But at the end of the day, I think you got to keep in mind as an agent, you know, you're going to be dealing with the same 32 teams, mm-hmm. the same 32 people. Um, you keep it civil, but you got to stand strong for your client. Um, some teams will do a good job of, you know, uh, trying to apply pressure, and and um, I don't want to call them scare tactics, but sure. Um, look, you, you understand this is a business. They know they have to work with the same agents too. Um, I mean, I can only speak for myself and our agency, but, you know, we have a great relationship with most, if not all the teams, you know, it's a, it's a business relationship, you know, you have to deal with them, um, not just throughout the year, but in future years. So, uh, you'll have contentious moments, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, you understand that you'll be working together again. And as long as you're fair, I mean, I think the minute you can start to get in trouble and, and, and hurt your reputation on the league is when you do some shady or underhanded stuff. But if you're if you're tough but fair, uh, at, at the end of the day, you're, and you're doing the best for your client, you're going to be just fine. You might you know you might piss off a team or two um, yeah. by standing you know taking a strong stance, but that's what you do as an agent, and you fight for your client and everything that they deserve. So, all right, how about uh, how about as we kind of wrap this up here with Shane, um, we throw a couple of I'm I I want to throw a couple of questions at you moments maybe that you can relate from your career. No names are necessary oh, on any not, side here. Oh, we thank want, you so much. Well, he's got to keep this job. <laughs> yes. So, thank you. so my first one to you, and maybe these guys will have will get the sense of what we're doing here is most unusual request you've ever gotten from a client, player, client. Oh man! Like I need this. I want this. You got to get this for me. I've had before. Uh, if you have a player, maybe that's fighting to get a roster, you know, uh, in training camp, um, and you know they're in camp and they're working hard. Uh, yeah, I've had before. You know, like a player call up and ask about like a free T-shirt deal. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like July thirty first. You know, it's like final cuts are three weeks, and you're like. 
You make that roster, I'll give you all the t-shirts. You <laughs> 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 yeah. If they make the roster, so. don't they get as many free tickets as they want from the team, right? That, well, that's been a point that I've right. you know, raised. So. I, I can't even t- like even back when I was on the, the the beat in the NFL, like locker cleanout day, the guys just throw the stuff away. Like, yeah. they, like mm-hmm. they get so much stuff, it's stupid. But right. it hasn't always been that case. I mean, I, back in the day, guys used to have to pay for stuff. So it's not always been that way. starter I, jackets. Know, the, well, I... I I remember, I remember stories of some of the chintzier teams that would give receivers like one pair of gloves, and if they wanted a new one, they had to go. That would be put on there. It would be taken off their paycheck, and that may still exist to some degree in the NFL. I don't know. You know, now that all the stuff with Nike is pretty much a free deal. All right, you guys got you got must have something for Shane here about his about his career. Some some cool question. Toughest contract um, that you had to negotiate, meaning the back and forth. And, and I'm, I'm not saying who was the you know, biggest jerk. I'm just saying, like, man, this is this thing ever going to get done? This is a really hard negotiation. But you held your ground. They held their ground. And in the end, you guys came to a common ground, if you could care to share who that is. Sure. So uh, w- without naming team or player, this, this was a situation we encountered where uh, there was a pre-existing injury. And so there was a lot of back and forth and doctor's visits related to um, the injury and what specifically they call injury waiver language uh, would be in the contract. And and w- where this comes up is if a player has, you know, a certain um, injured condition, right, and they go out and if there's no none of this language, they get hurt playing football, team's on the hook mm-hmm. for that, for, for the contract, right? They go on, on IR and, and, and whatnot. However, where this comes up and where it can be contentious is if there's some type of past medical issue and the team says, "Hey, if I'm you know, just, you know, if you hurt your knee, uh, it is due to this pre-existing condition, and we are not responsible for, you know, uh, salary, sign, you know, money, whatever, right?" And this gets contentious, right? So maybe there is some type of pre-existing condition, and if the player, and if you, you know, you're just trying to get them on the right team and the right fit, and it's all about leverage too, right? And how many other teams are interested, but. You're trying to get him in the right situation. This happens a lot with undrafted free agents. What you have to consider is how how is that language tailored, right? Is this, oh, you know, if he hurts his left knee, you know, you're, you're out of luck. But what if it's really just like a meniscus problem or an MCL, but he tears his ACL, right? So you need to make sure that language is so narrow if every team insists on it that, you know, you're okay if he hurts a different uh, part of his knee, huh, right? And amazing, so where, isn't yeah, it? and so where this comes up, and I, I've had a couple of these. Some teams are really good, and they're if they really want the guy, they'll they'll tailor it, they'll they'll um, tailor it narrowly, right? But sometimes, you know, they'll. You know, I don't want to say they're trying to catch you asleep at the wheel, but they'll they'll have an injury language paragraph, and you're reading it, and you're like. Okay, so you're saying if he hurts his knee, that might be related to the hip problem that he had, and then we don't pay him. You know what I mean? And then you got to go back and forth. And we've had scenarios where there's a lot over just a few sentences where commas are, where words, you know, specific parts. You know, we're trying, and I'm not a doctor, but you better have a pretty good, um, you know, medical team or whoever you rely on for this stuff to work with you and because they've got all the resources on their side you know they've got some of the best doctors in the world and so 
in, in this situation with the negotiation with the, there was a couple teams involved was um, understanding what language the different teams would be comfortable putting in just in case, again, the, the player was to get hurt. Um, and not only that, but again, talking to players, talking to teams, medical staffs, hey, you know, wh- what type of language would you require in this? And it might be tough for them to say. You might actually have to fly them to that facility and have them do a physical. And so this particular player went through, I think, three different physicals with three different teams. And it was all about, again, finding that right type of language. But also, and all these teams, by the way, were great fits for the player, too. You know, they were all about equal on, on where we thought um, we'd have a chance to make the roster and, and, and system fit and all that. That. So yeah, it really did come down to negotiating the best injury settlement language in case or, or injury waiver language um, in case he was injured and, and making sure, look, football's an interesting game. Guys get hurt all the time. We didn't want a situation where he got hurt because um, just because in the normal course of play and the team would try and wash their hands of him. So yeah, that, that was uh, that was certainly one of the more interesting negotiations. And, and you'll find that too. I mean, if you've got a top player Sometimes those negotiations are a little bit easier than one might think. I mean, you do a lot of research into it, but in terms of the actual back and forth, if you can settle on some good numbers that 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 work for both sides, even though there was a lot of back-end work and a lot of back-end research, sometimes those are easier. Of course, sometimes those are really, really difficult too. So it really just depends on the situation. Fascinating stuff. Uh, there's probably so much more we could cover, but we've been almost an hour deep uh, into this with Shane Costa from Pillar Sports Management. We'll have to do this again, Shane. Will you come back? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think that'd be awesome. All right, and uh, Paul will have Shane uh, right around draft time. I think yeah. would be really interesting, uh, you know, to look back at free agency and tell us how he's getting his guys ready for be prepared wow. for the draft. I also say we should hire him to negotiate our contract with Mike it. for this uh, oh, show. Sure, sure. yeah. yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> All right. I think uh, I think we just found our next negotiation for Shane's going to be a tough one between Shane and Mike. It's going to be great. All right. Uh, well, we thank you for listening to the SpotTrack.com podcast. Uh, for Mike Gennetti and Paul Peck, I'm Kevin Sylvester. We'll talk to you next time.